You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The EU condemns Russian cyber attacks on Georgia, and Russia says Russia didn't do it. It's all propaganda. Skids can buy scamming tools for less than 20 bucks. Satellite constellations offer an expanding attack surface. Amid continuing worries about U.S. election security, the question of Russian trolling or homegrown American vitriol arises in Nevada. The smart money's on the U.S. of A. FISA reauthorization is coming up, Mr. Assange's extradition, and hello from RSAC 2020. Coming to you from Broadcast Alley at the RSA Conference in San Francisco, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, February 24th, 2020. The European Union has joined international condemnation of last October's cyber attack on Georgian websites, according to Eurus's review. High representative of the European Union for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Josep Borrell, the EU's top diplomat, on Friday said, quote, Georgia was the victim of a targeted cyber attack causing damage to their social and economic infrastructure, end quote. Western intelligence services, notably those of the UK and the US, have attributed the influence campaign to Russia's GRU. Georgia's government has thanked the EU for the expression of solidarity. Russia's foreign ministry has denied any involvement in the attack and puts the whole matter down to a coordinated propaganda campaign run from Washington, London, Tbilisi, and an unspecified elsewhere. The ministry goes on to deplore Georgia's decision to demonize Russia and just when relations between the two peoples were getting so mutual. But many observers still see Fancy Bear's paw prints all over the Caucasus. Note on the apparent misuse of mutual. It's an old Russian trope for solidarity, good feeling, and so on. The commodification of the spamming business continues apace. A digital shadows study suggests that minimally skilled criminals are able to enroll in online phishing tutorials for an average tuition of just under $25 and can buy the tools necessary to conduct phishing attacks for less than $20. Criminal masterminds are more myth than reality, but the dark web markets show the power of the black market, its ability to turn a couple of hacker weight of skids into functional Professor Moriarty's. An essay in Science Alert offers some informed speculation about the attack surface the rapidly proliferating internet delivery satellite constellations present. Of particular note are the mentions of supply chain issues. As commodity components continue to drive down satellite costs, making private sector constellations realistically affordable, some are uneasy about the susceptibility of those components to compromise before they even reach the point of final assembly, still less launch and Earth orbit. 
Results from the Nevada Democratic Presidential Caucus are still being tabulated and have been disputed by former South Bend Mayor Buttigieg's campaign, but Senator Sanders seems the clear winner. The senator suggested twice last week, on grounds of a priori probability, that online nastiness apparently emanated from his supporters might well have been the work of Russian bots. Experts the Daily Beast polled think this is unlikely. The nastiness that prompted the senator's speculation about Russian trolling involved an intra-party squabble over the Culinary Workers' Union and its decision not to endorse Senator Sanders' signature Medicare for All proposal. Attribution is always difficult, but it's worth remembering that America is great in lots of ways, including her ability to generate loudmouth invective at scale and in quantity. On the question of general election security in the U.S., the Washington Post's stable of experts comes down narrowly on the side of worry as opposed to reassurance. 57% of the Post's network doubt that U.S. federal, state, and local election officials will be able to render the 2020 election reasonably secure against manipulation or tampering. The New York Times notes that the Justice Department IG's criticism of 2016's Operation Crossfire Hurricane make it likely that the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act will be significantly revised when key provisions expire in mid-March. The Inspector General concluded that the FBI's requests for wiretaps during Crossfire Hurricane were flawed and that had the Bureau presented what it knew and ought to have known to the FISA court, it's unlikely that it would have received the warrants it eventually did. The team at security firm Checkmarks recently published their latest OWASP API security top 10 list. Erez Yalan is director of security research at Checkmarks. So API stands for Application Programming Interface. It's basically an interface or communication protocol between client and server. And we love APIs. APIs make things simpler for us. So when we talk about API security, what we actually mean is the security of API-based apps, or you can even say um, modern application security, because there is no modern application without APIs. So regarding this specific project of, of API security top 10, we started to see here in, in checkmarks where I work, um, we see a lot of, uh, um, let's say, mistakes that are happening in code um, and insecurities in, in software out there. And together with the migration to modern application from traditional applications, we see the area of vulnerabilities kind of migrating. So we see client devices that are becoming more varied and stronger. So the logic moves from the backend to frontend. If in the past we knew that clients would be probably a web browser, now it can be a browser, it can be a mobile device, it can be a smartwatch, a smart car, it can be a bot, it can be some sort of business microservice, it can be a smart toaster, whatever you can think of, someone probably invented it, and it can be the client of your application. So there is no single action happening on the server side and sending a prepared page to the client, now the servers act more as a proxy of sending a lot of raw data to the clients and making sure that the clients knows how to present it to the user according to their abilities. And there are consequences for, to that. Uh, the consequences are that 
The user state is maintained and monitored by the client. Um, clients consume raw data and more parameters are, are sent in each HTTP request. We can see uh, object IDs and values and filters and many other things that in the past we did not see passing between server and client in the raw condition. And mm -hmm. NPIs uh, expose the underlying implementation of application security. And the current standards, uh, including the OASP top 10, are very relevant to more of a traditional applications, but they lack, there is a gap when we're looking at modern and API-based applications. And this is the gap that we wanted to bridge when we decided to, to start this specific project for API security. That's Erez Yalan from Checkmarks. WikiLeaks impresario Julian Assange's extradition hearings in London continue as the U.S. seeks to persuade the U.K. to send him stateside for trial on charges related to his alleged role in helping then-U.S. Army Specialist Bradley Manning obtain and leak classified information. Mr. Assange is not, the U.S. emphasizes, charged with WikiLeaks's role as a conduit for U.S. Democratic Party emails the U.S. intelligence community concluded were stolen by Russian intelligence services. And, of course, RSAC 2020 is now underway in San Francisco. We'll have updates from the city by the other bay as we receive them, and yours truly will be podcasting from Broadcast Alley all week. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by, say hello. We've got some stickers, and it'd be great to meet you in person. Before the conference opened, it felt the effects of concerns about COVID-19, the coronavirus strain that continues to spread from its point of origin in China. Fourteen companies, six of them from China, withdrew from the conference, Tech Republic observed. The three highest profile cancellations were IBM, AT&T, and Verizon. There have been a small number of cases reported in Northern California, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. The San Francisco Department of Public Health is providing updates on its website, Assessing the risk as low, RSAC intends to operate this year, much as it always has. The conference's first big event will, as usual, be the Innovation Sandbox, the doors to which will open at 1.30 p.m. Pacific time today. The finalists in this year's Sandbox are App Omni, Blue Bracket, Elevate Security, For All Secure, Inky, Obsidian, Security.ai, Screen, Tala Security, and Vulcan Cyber. Good luck to them all. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Interesting article came by, uh, this is uh, Motherboard on the Vice website, mm-hmm. uh, and it's titled, Sim Swappers are Fishing Telecom Company Employees to Access Internal Tools. Are the Sim Swappers upping their game here? What, what's going on? Well, Dave, we have to have some empathy for these Sim Swappers. <laughs> Do, right? Okay. Let's, oh, okay. let's look at it from their perspective. Here, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's say I want to swap a SIM. Okay. Well, uh, for, why would you want to do that? Well, I, I may want to do that to gain access to someone's uh, cryptocurrency wallet, to gain access to someone's uh, someone's social media accounts, or maybe to intercept uh, their SMS-based two-factor authentication. Okay. So basically, right. you're taking over someone's phone number. Right. And the way I yeah. do that is with something called a SIM swap, which is where I change the SIM in the company system so that the SIM I have is what the company thinks is the legitimate SIM. Associated with a particular phone number. Right, associated with the account, actually. Yeah, okay. And the phone number, that's right. Right, right. So now, let's say I, I log into my financial website and I get a, a, a text message sent with a code. That code doesn't go to me any longer. It goes to the holder of the new SIM. Right, right. right. Okay, yep. So as a bad guy, I can call the phone company and I can socially engineer my way into someone's account and say, okay, well, I've got a new SIM card. Here's all the information. Please set it up. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But then, if I want to do that again, I have to start the process all over. Mm. Right. Who has time for that? Who? That's very labor-intensive, and who <laughs> has time for that? So what these guys have realized is that it's much more efficient just to gain direct access to the systems that these telecom providers use. Hmm. One of the systems that Verizon uses is called Omni. Mm-hmm. It's a... Uh, Omni is a customer service tool that helps you manage your customers. But if you have access to an Omni system, you can effectively change the SIM information for any of the customers at Verizon. Hmm. And the access to these systems isn't just, for example, at a Verizon store. Right. So they're, they're third-party providers there are third would have access providers to this. third-party providers out there that have access to the system. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of important for the business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because Verizon may not want to put locations all over the place. They may not want to incur that expense. So they, they say, you can be a, a Verizon reseller. Right. Right. And we'll give you some cut of whatever revenue and, and everybody's happy, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's good. It's good American business. And you need to be able to activate devices. Right. So you need access to the SIM information. Correct. And right. you may need to help customers when they come in and they've lost their phone and you need to give them a new phone or a new SIM. Yep. Uh, something's happened. So there are le- absolutely legitimate business cases that are, that are essential to the operation of these telecoms. Right. So they're fishing these, the resellers and actually the, the telecoms themselves trying to gain access to these systems so they can make these changes hmm. whenever they feel like it. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to be persistent with their access as well. So I know somebody works for one of these companies. I fish them in order to get access to this system mm-hmm. that allows me to basically do as many SIM swaps as I want to. Right. Because I'm, I'm, I'm in the house, right? Yep. I'm, I'm, You're I'm in the inside. house. Exactly. Inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I also wonder, I mean, is this, 
Could this be as simple as going to one of these third-party providers, finding somebody who works there who's not exactly on the up and up, perhaps has the moral flexibility that by slipping them a few bucks, they can, you know, take a lunch break, walk away and give me access to that terminal. We've seen stories about insider threats on these before as well. And the insider threat is a lot more difficult to protect against. Mm -hmm. There is a very simple way to protect against this, uh, and that is for all of these companies to use a hardware token for two-factor authentication. Hmm. Um, that way, an attacker who fishes one of your reps or maybe a third party's rep, just require everybody, even third party reps, if they access this system, they're, they're the system that can change you know, the, the internal system of our operations, then you need to have a two-factor that is based on a hardware token. Mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of this has to do with the acceptable risk and uh, the velocity of business being done. Because if I require you know, all my... Uh, all my third-party folks to use some kind of, you know, two-factor on their own use that could slow things down. You know, it could cause lines at the at the stand at the mall. People are unhappy. My resellers are unhappy, and uh, you know, it's harder for me to do business. Yeah, well, the two-factor authentication with the token is remarkably fast. Mm-hmm. It's not a big overhead, um, right? But I can see if I lose that token, right? And now I can't sell any phones for the rest of the day until That's I right. get a no, new that token. Is- that. That that's is, an issue. <laughs> that is an issue. That's <laughs> right, correct. Right. Um, right. We're going to see which companies value the customer more by putting this uh, requirement on the system. Yeah. I think it's pretty obvious that that needs to be done. This is this is big, and the damage to the individual customers is going to be devastating. Yeah. It can be devastating. Now, how can individual customers protect themselves? Obviously, use a password manager. Mm. Uh, that's always my number two piece of advice. Use some factor of two-factor authentication is my number one advice. But my number two advice is use a password manager so that you have complex and different passwords for everything. If one of your accounts does get compromised, it's not going to be a huge problem that spreads for you. Also, use a two-factor authentication on all your accounts and try to make that either a a software token or a physical key. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, in this article, they point out that a spokesperson from Verizon said in an email, they said, we're aware of recent fraud campaigns that target some employees and others using social engineering. Verizon is fully engaged in these issues. We're continually working to improve our security controls and are implementing enhancements in response to activities like this. Yeah. So, Verizon generally does a good job with security. Yeah. Uh, they're a security leader in the telecom industry. Uh, they actually publish a report uh, that is one of the leading reports. So when when Verizon says we're on it, I, I, I kind of think they're on it. Yeah, give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I do. Yeah. All right. Well, it's an interesting uh, development here. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.